we don't know why we're starting a podcast after exclusively talking to no one for the past year, but we're here. Hi, welcome to Feeling Myself, a podcast with me, Natasha Bailey, a podcast editor, and my co-conspirator, Lauren Ashley Gordon, aka The Orgasm Influencer. I mean, why wouldn't we have a podcast? We talk about everything from relationships, online dating, from therapy sessions to wanking. You can expect real, honest conversations with mates, our therapists, and other inspirational humans who are sharing their knowledge and resources to make this life more habitable. It's officially an all-rounder, and that's what we wanted, an oversharing, self-loving, mental dump of love, friendship, life, and self-worth. Thank you so much for listening, and if you like what you hear, please rate, like, follow, and subscribe. In this episode, we got to talk to Mary Meadows. She is a life coach and NLP practitioner. Don't worry, I wasn't really clear on what that meant either, until I myself got coached. Mary also works in the mental health and well-being arm of our gloriously underfunded National Health Service. She is such a badass woman. She's a single mother, a motivational speaker, an occasional influencer, and one of my best friends. Mary bravely opens her life up to Lauren and I, and she shares the good, the bad, and the ugly. Her reason for doing so is exactly the reason we started this podcast, because oversharing is caring. Like us, Mary is unashamedly and unapologetically telling her truth, in the hope that sharing her story will help someone listening with the words to ask for help if they need it. This episode deals with and discusses pregnancy loss, postnatal depression and anxiety. If that's not something you can hear about right now, please just look after you and skip to the next episode. And without further ado, here is The Nine Lives of Mary Badass Meadows. Enjoy. Before Mary came, I thought I better make a list of uh, subjects to talk about. But she's had nine lives. I think there's actually nine. One, two, three... You're going to die soon. They are pretty epic. I mean, the list is, it does, I should really write a book. Although because I had my notepad open last night and the (laughs) man came round, he was like, periods, coils, shagging and blood was one of the topics. And he was like, what the fuck? (laughs) It's all the stuff that causes shame, isn't it? That's a big therapy topic for, for all of us, I'm sure. I suppose the start of it was my move to Brighton when I was 18 and I went down Sutton High Street and I saw three school friends all with babies and all of them had drug dealer boyfriends and I just <laughs> thought, do you know what, if I stay here this is going to be me and I thought I don't want that, I want to have an adventure. So I came down to Brighton and I just moved here, it took like two weeks and I got a job at the Grand, the hotel on the seafront and yeah, and I just said to my parents, I'm moving to Brighton, see you later. Off to live the dream. I really didn't overthink it at all, I just did it and then I was in Brighton working at the Grand for years and it was such a amazing time to work in hotels. So I was on reception and we'd do a late shift, finish at 11 We'd get changed in the toilet and then we used to go out to various clubs in Brighton and we'd just stay out. Yeah. Then we'd get home about five o'clock in the morning, have a shower and then we'd be at work at half past six. Yeah. God, I miss having that sort of stamina. (laughs) Now I'm like, I need a three day recovery period. (laughs) And it was like that for years, you know, shagging everybody. Everything was so incestuous. It was just brilliant. So that's where it started. I met my now ex-husband also at the hotel. So we met, fell in love. 
and uh, got married and had the big white wedding, like proper. But I think I was more about the wedding. I think that's a common theme for a lot of people. And like, certainly in hindsight, I was definitely, oh my God, someone's asked me to marry them. So I have to say yes. Yeah. There's no thinking, is this the right man for me? Do I want to spend the rest of my life? I was just like, I want a wedding. I want to get married before my brother does because he's younger than me. I want a wedding because that's what happens. That's what we do. You know, I actually, my dream in life was to be a homemaker. You wanted to live in the 1950s. I really (laughs) did. That's how I thought it would be. It's a narrative we're fed, isn't it? A man's going to come, offer us this life, look after us. We can be these little women. But I, I really, truly wanted it. Yeah, yeah. I wanted someone to look after me. I wanted to have children. To me, that was normal. So we got married and we had that fairy tale and then couldn't get pregnant. Because I just assumed, because of this fairy tale that we're sold, that that's what happens. You get married and you get pregnant. Yeah, it's that easy. So it wasn't happening. We tried various kind of drugs in the GP and then I had uh, internal examination to kind of check me out and it was discovered that I had polycystic ovaries and then he had his sperm tested and that was fine so it was definitely me that the problem was with so then we started our kind of fertility journey I suppose and it was just years of it was IUI we tried that quite a few times which is where they put the sperm where it needs to be I had miscarriage after miscarriage after oh my god I can't tell you how many pregnancy tests I must have gone through I mean the knicker checking was just off the wall yeah every month for year this was for years that really takes its toll doesn't it that's that's really hard thing to go through it was my life for about seven years do you think that's where a lot of the shame started as well yeah because i couldn't couldn't have a baby yeah and it was all your fault I think I can so relate to that. Like, it's just, you're, you're right, you sold this dream that, like, it's really easy. You get pregnant, you have the baby, nothing ever goes wrong, and everything's perfect. And then when something does go wrong, it's so hard to not be like, my body failed me. That's my fault. Like, what's wrong with me? And, and in reality, it's so common, but we don't talk about that as much. And it's, yeah, it really does build up a lot of shame. We, d- we don't talk about it. And it's heartbreaking, you know, wanting a baby. I can remember sitting in the, the kind of reception area of the fertility clinic. There's loads of like posters on the wall with different statistics and stuff. And because I was kind of reaching 35 and that's when your eggs start going downhill. I can remember looking at these statistics and there was 10 women, including me, in this waiting room. And I can remember thinking, shit, two of us are going to get babies. We ended up having IVF and we had a couple of goes, but we had two fresh and two frozen goes. Fresh is where they do it straight away. And then depending on how many eggs you get, they can freeze them. But because I had polycystic ovaries, they were really like the drugs I was injecting. My God. Right. And my stomach was just this mess of bruises because you have to inject yourself and, and you can't inject where you injected yesterday they were trying to kind of because the drugs um like increase the eggs because there's a step you can go a step too far and then it's quite dangerous and you can die oh my god Mary, it's actually a case of oh, life or death yeah yeah basically and i never produced enough eggs when they did the egg collection um in order to freeze any so 
we only had two goes. I can remember being so distraught. And then nurse said to me, did they only need one? Two of them took. Wow. And then I basically just laid on the sofa with my feet up in the air. How what? long were you doing all of that for? Oh, God. So seven years. That is wild. And then I got pregnant. And then the anxiety started. So, like, it was just the knicker checking literally every half an hour I was just waiting to start bleeding I was doing pregnancy tests when I was technically seven weeks pregnant I was still doing tests every morning there's so much pressure isn't there and it's it's a silent pressure you don't talk about you just feel the weight of it every day I always think like even I know we always bring her up but like Catherine Ryan we're obsessed with Catherine Ryan but she spoke about her miscarriage yeah she was called brave it's just exactly like the we always talk about it like the body stuff. Like if you wear a bikini and you're bigger than a size 16, you're brave. It's just life. Exactly. And I don't like it when people call me brave because I get called that for doing stuff and the things that I've talked about and said. And I don't like it because it should just be normal. This is normal. That's it. I think brave gives a connotation of like, you shouldn't be doing that, but you are anyway. And it's like, well, no, this is what we need more of. I Like we had the same, we... Um, when I got pregnant after Dylan we announced it really early because it hadn't even occurred to me like it wasn't even in my head that something would go wrong I I just was so naive to that so we'd announced it on Instagram so then what choice did I have but to talk about my miscarriage because I'd already told everyone I was fucking pregnant so and everyone's like you're so amazing for showing it and like what am I gonna do just crawl into a hole like I have to carry on (laughs) so yeah so I started bleeding when I was about eight weeks and I was at work and I can remember the blood in my knickers and just think I couldn't even speak. And in the early pregnancy unit, I, can't, I can, must have just been holding my breath the whole time. I don't remember breathing at all. And then, and then I heard this heartbeat and, it, and there was Albie. Mm. I had a very bad pregnancy, so it was very difficult because I was so anxious the whole time. Just my body just wasn't coping at all with being pregnant. I remember my teeth crumbling. It was like, oh, so much stuff going on. And I was in and out of hospital and I can remember crying and just saying I felt so unwell. You know, can mm. we just, as soon as it's safe, can we just get him out? Albie was pulled out to Ave Maria, which was... Oh, my yeah. God, dramatic. I know. And then I can remember hearing him cry, and that was my last kind of solid memory. I had seven years of, of trauma. What you're talking about is real trauma with no proper proper aftercare, no support from a mental health perspective. And then what, you just get to go home and forget about it. That's not how it works. And so there was lots of talk in the about baby blues and stuff like that. And I can remember them all looking and I can remember somebody mentioning postnatal depression. But I didn't know much about it, you know, and I certainly didn't know that that was what was happening. Because, of course, for anybody on the outside, this was like Mary's dreams come true. This is the product, you know, it's, it's done. The dreams come true. Oh, you must be loving it. I mean, I didn't feel anything, nothing. Mm. I can remember going to the GP and saying, look at my dog. So I've got a dog called George. He's so fucking cute. And I was saying to the GP, I look at my dog and I get this, oh, oh I'm going to squeeze you so hard. Like, I love you so much. <laughs> and then I looked at Albie and just like nothing. There was nothing. And I knew it wasn't right. 
and then they started talking about post depression and then they started talking about the fact that I was breastfeeding I couldn't go on the latest antidepressants and I had to try these ones but actually you better just stop breastfeeding well I think the dream we're sold is that it will be easy it's this supernatural amazing yeah. thing life's a fucking dream and I think that's the problem if we set parents up with the knowledge that this might be really fucking difficult and you might have some really fucking hard times and here's some real decent actual proper support it would be a whole different story than this like yeah you're on your own why can't you make it work that's your problem it's something wrong with you that's the narrative that's a real dangerous problem how was about that just over a year and uh, my ex uh, he announced that he didn't love me anymore and he was leaving and he'd had an affair <laughs> and in my head it was totally fixable we just hadn't spent any time together and we'd just had a baby and also nobody checked in on him no not even me yeah. you know and all of those things happened to him as well so I imagine that he had postnatal depression as well but it wasn't even ever talked about that men could feel anything mm. about any of that so he had all that happen to him as well but yeah so I can see why the affair happened. And I think the affair was a, a consequence of what had happened to us and where we were. Didn't hurt any less because I could see that. Mm. That affair ended our marriage. And overnight I was a single mum. And that is certainly not the dream <laughs> that I expected. Yeah, it's quite far from the 50s housewife that we, we had the goal of. Because Albie was, yeah, he was about 18 months. And I can remember crying a lot and I can remember him like wiping my tears and saying uh, and going to get the spider-man plasters that were in the bathroom and he brought them into me and he said hurt mummy (laughs) and I was like oh no it's my heart that hurt I said you can't put a plaster can't put a spider-man plaster on my heart yeah that's a whole other guilt pile isn't it and then that was the start of my big adventure (laughs) (laughs) and of course now he's nine and I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Like, it's really hard, isn't it? So me and Dylan are very similar. We were alone from quite an early age. And I had the same situations. I, I just used to kill me that I cried in front of him so much. Like I just had so much guilt around him just having to see me so upset so often. But actually, we went through so much together. And I don't, like it's like your kids so I don't know it's a weird dynamic but I think when it's just the two of you like we have this unbelievable bond because we we went through this stuff together we survived because of each other and we were all we had and it was actually like quite a magical time in a weird way yeah I agree I think it's really intense it's very hard to understand unless you have a lived experience of it in hindsight, looking back, I think it was it was really magical and it's really special and I really enjoy the relationship that we have now. So it wasn't the dream, but you created your own dream. Yeah. That's the lesson, isn't it? That's the lesson. I think it's always our kind of expectations that kind of fuck us up. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Even like, I don't know, making a fucking birthday cake. It's our expectations, yeah. isn't it? It's what yeah. we're sold, this Pinterest mum shit. You know, you try making a Spider-Man face on a fucking cake with red icing and I wouldn't know I'd just buy it <laughs> but it's like what we talked about last week Natasha like the with the half terms and like we we hold ourselves like the half term has to be amazing we have to do seven days out and this and that and it's like but we're doing that to ourselves our expectation is what's causing that if we just accept we're gonna have a nice time and probably do nothing then that's that's great and the kids love it 
I can remember when I separated, women started to really, my friends' groups really started to open up to me about how imperfect their marriage was. Even when you know that, it's still... Yeah, I think we know it's, it's our logical brain that knows all those things and you can tell yourself all those things, but the emotion is from somewhere so much deeper, isn't it? That logic doesn't really matter to that probably your very young self feeling all of these very deep the shame the guilt all the rest of it like logic doesn't get through to that part of you so like you say even if you know the reality it doesn't it doesn't change the feeling a lot of people have to know a lot of things that are going on in my life you know it's the fact that Damien doesn't have to explain where he is or get someone you know you don't have to plan he doesn't have to plan things in advance he could go to the pub tonight without any hair in the world, you know. And so there is, you do hold a lot of um, resentment, resentment, yeah, <laughs> about that. Not that I'd change it, which is re- which is where that conflicting emotion comes in because I wouldn't change yeah. it. Mm. I don't want anything different. Yeah, but that doesn't stop me feeling very resentful. Yeah, and both things can be true too. You know, we you can feel resentful and also grateful for what you have and wouldn't want to change it and having to make a really intentional way of living you know and having to really intentionally carve out that the things that you want to do and really make them happen it is it's the constant conversations Mm. then I just think because I went to London last week for one night I was just thinking oh I need to tell Ian that I'm going to London so I told him and he was like okay but it was like, I was in London like Monday, Tuesday, and I was like, oh. <laughs> I know, isn't it? I know. It's, it's weird, so weird. It? And I, I was just like, oh, but I feel bad that if I'm in London and, and you don't know I'm in London and the kid and needs something, something yeah. and he was like, oh, I just don't think like that. And I was like, wow. I know, but they don't. I really don't think they think like that. I'm je- I get I get jealous. Yeah, I'm jealous. Jealous of that life, of that, of that existence freedom, that freedom yeah I think a lot of people will resonate with that feeling of like even when I don't have Dylan I still feel like I kind of have to be available or feel bad if I'm not even if he's with his dad that is such a strange feeling I think that's probably if I'm being brutally honest the reason my last relationship failed is a thousand percent because of my co-parenting relationship and because I had a kid and because there was more than just me and him in that relationship. When I uh, had Max, I then started to really invest in the women in my life, mm. I mean, emotionally invest. And I think now I wish that friendships were romanticised as much as romantic yeah. relationships. I mean, okay. I mean you look at the fucking movies. I got the right hump a couple of months ago. I was like, when are the movies going to catch up with the awareness that we all have now this whole conversation mm. what's the one with lady gaga and the star is born one yeah oh my god i watched it and i wanted to like put a brick through my tv like he is awful and she just completely loses who she is because she's in love with him and well, i don't need that romanticized anymore well i always think oh, my favorite disney was uh little mermaid i mean she literally <laughs> yeah. had to lose her voice to grow legs yeah. yeah like what the actual fuck i know and it but it still goes on though doesn't it i feel it's my duty in my parenting to kind of show 
that family units work differently you know like I talk about Natasha a lot like Albie has an amazing relationship with Natasha and she's my chosen family you know that's how I feel Mm. like it is you know families look different and you get to choose that but it all starts with deciding what you want in your life you know and I think that's why I became a life coach because I want to help people figure out what they want it's really easy to tell somebody else and and we talk about a lot what we don't want so like a lot of what we've just been talking about is what we don't want Mm. isn't it we don't want to see that romanticized we don't want to see those movies we don't want that we don't want this but we don't actually talk about what we do want yeah we spend so little time focused on that don't we especially I, I think not generally I think especially as women and as mothers when so much of our lives feels like it's supposed to be about other people it kind of feels like you're not allowed and like it's selfish to be like what what, what do I want to do what do I want out of my life you know all of those things it's not doesn't come naturally to me but it's taken a long time to get here bloody hell what a battle though we've now entered the periods coil shagging and blood section of lovely, our agenda lovely again this is another story that you get sold so my mum and her mother and her sister all had heavy periods so I thought it was entirely normal to have a super plus tampon and a nighttime towel and to soak through both of those things within half an hour so I can remember going to the doctors and her saying oh it doesn't have to be like you can just have a coil fitted and I was like yep stick it in and then didn't really think about it for five years so about two years ago it was due out so I thought you know what I'll have it taken out and, and let's see what actually my cycle is, what my body's doing. So I had the quill taken out and then I basically didn't stop bleeding <laughs> and I tried everything to sort it out. I tried, you know, changing what I was eating to seeing a herbalist to having acupuncture. But I think my uterus had just given up. It got to a point where I was bleeding for so long. I think there was like a 62-day period. I didn't have any blood left. My GP is amazing, thank God. And she was putting me in for blood tests every Friday morning. She'd say, Mary, have you just done the school run? I'd be like, yeah. She goes, I don't know how you're standing up. She said, you need to get to A&E immediately. They are waiting for you with a blood transfusion. (laughs) We put up with so much and we carry on through so much. And it's so normalised as well. Like I know so many people who have the libertating cramps and they just have to crack on because what else are you going to do? I don't have the privilege of laying on the sofa and not getting up for four days. Like, who's going to do all the other stuff? Like, (laughs) You know, and from what I learned when I was so into it you know a heavy period is not normal right exactly if you're having a heavy period then something isn't right yeah I think if it's affecting your life in any way whether that's heaviness cramps if it's meaning it's really causing a problem for you in your daily life you need to get sorted out so I tried everything and I went to see a gynecologist and I said is a hysterectomy an option and they were like you're a bit young but yes okay so I've had it all out in March last year as soon as I had my operation I was technically in the menopause which is a whole new ball game yeah and it's just like when is my body gonna behave basically so I've been in A&E with palpitations thinking I was dying (laughs) 
and apparently palpitations is a menopausal symptom see this is another thing that we just don't speak about you you've got the like the stereotypical hot flashes but that's that's all we are ever told about menopause and it starts happening to you and you're like what the fuck is this and the only reference point that i have for anything kind of menopausal is this joke around it's a big joke isn't it about hot flushes yeah. and mood yeah. swings that is not the reality of it and also all of the any pamphlet or magazine mm. that you see you're seeing women that don't look like me. They look like my nan. <laughs> you know, that's that's what we're looking at, isn't it? I'm trying to think. The only reference I can even really think of of menopause is um, in like TV and media is um, Samantha in Sex and the Sea, the movie. Yeah. First thing I would probably recommend is knowledge is power. We need to talk about it more. We need to ask more questions. And I also think that we need to kind of share resources as well, because you're nearly 40. Hey, come on. <laughs> there will 100,000% be people listening who can relate in some way and will feel lighter because they'll be like, shit, it's not just me. And that is and that is why I do what I do on Instagram. Yeah. And, and when I, you know, when I jump at the chance to be on podcasts and things like this, because... I was that woman sat on a sofa with a screaming baby Googling, you know, I want to see a survivor of postnatal depression. I want to see some hope that it gets better. I want to, you know, I want to see the the realness of it. I don't want a, a doctor's opinion or a medical thing. I want to know from from a, another person. This is it. I don't think, like, I'm not an expert in, in anything, but yeah, I can share my lived experiences and there's just so much power in that. There's so much power in like the solidarity of, of us in this together. And all we can do is keep talking. Yeah. I have to apologise because we've been talking about some really serious subjects and the entire time I've just been squeezing my dildo. <laughs> no, I think that will be a really powerful episode though and I think people will take loads from it. So, I genuinely thank you very much for sharing your story with us. And you're very brave. Yeah. (laughs) Hashtag brave. And we need to say that thing where you're always like, like, rate, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, you just did that, so that's great. (laughs) Love you, bye. If you or anyone that you know is struggling with any issues mentioned and shared in this episode, please ask for help. We have left some helpful links in the show notes for anyone that requires it. You are not alone and we hope that by sharing more stories like Mary's, we can create a community and a safe space for anyone who requires it.